This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. Welcome to the Do Better Podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing teaching soft skills and behavior analysis. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. Hey, Joe. Hey, Megan. <laughs> How's What's it going? <laughs> doing well, doing well. Oh, we have um, Nora said hi I on was Facebook. Not... Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. Welcome. Um, if you didn't notice, I wasn't practicing my good soft skills right there at all. <laughs> when I was saying, what's up? <laughs> I don't know. Remember that could that be like a, like a relationship building thing, depending on the person. <laughs> It could be, it could be, but then again, I mean, you don't know, you have to know your clientele and who you're working with and, um, the preferences of your, um, clients or the the parents of your clients. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Like, so we are talking about soft skills today. Um, so do you want to talk about like what are, what we think soft skills are first or. Do you want I, to talk I think about, that might like, be helpful to get everyone on the same page, probably. And then we can yeah. talk about the yeah. question before it. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think of when you think of soft skills, Megan? So I had to be a little particular here because it was funny when I thought of the words soft skills, I'm like, I just don't really know how to operationally define that. <laughs> Like I, like, I know what I'm picturing, but it's hard to put it into words. Yeah. So I just did a Google search. I didn't go into like Google Scholar or anything, but one definition I found that I really liked from balancecareers.com, it said soft skills are the interpersonal attributes you need to succeed in the workplace. They're how you work with and relate to others. In other words, they're people skills. Um, I didn't think from like a behavior analytic standpoint that um, that sounds very behavioral, but especially the the interpersonal yeah. <laughs> attributes piece of it. So that could explain why some of the things that we're going to talk about today maybe aren't trained in the way that we would like to see. When I think about it in mm-hmm. terms of uh, the families that I work with or the people I've supervised in the fa- in the past, I think of how well uh, the especially like the BCBAs or the RBTs are seeking to understand the families and the clients they're serving, as well as how they engage with like their colleagues and supervisors and supervisees. And I don't know if this is surprising or not, but soft skills, especially 
it's so interesting because when it comes to clients, I think I've always been pretty good with that. I've always uh, gone into homes and, and worked with families from a place of this is your house. I am here to provide you with the support you need. I am not here to like take over your life and tell you what to do. When it comes mm -hmm. to a more from a work standpoint, I am a like, let's get to business. Let's get stuff done. Let's be efficient and effective. And like, we got <laughs> a lot of stuff to get through. I don't have time to praise you. You're not going to get the fluffy from me. Like, let's just do this, you know? So I think people who yeah. have worked with me and especially if they only really got to see me for, you know, client updates or things like that, probably think I'm really mean <laughs> and that I don't have very good soft <laughs> skills. But when it comes to families, I usually get pretty good feedback on that. So what about you? Yeah. So I try to think of soft skills. I, I mean, I'm not. I know my definition is not, not the most, the best operational defined um, definition of soft skills. But when I think of soft skills, I think of ways you would approach a person or people to discuss personal information in a way that is not taken like offensively. Um, this could be information that is sensitive or non-sensitive in nature. Um, also, I think of soft skills as way, like how are you communicating with other people and re relating to them? So that's what I, when I think of soft skills, that's how I think of soft, soft skills. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a combination of social skills that you develop over time. I like it. Casey has joined Thanks. us and she's Thanks. very excited to talk about soft skills. She said soft skills, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Penny said, you are always very respectful towards everyone, Megan. Thank you, Penny. I, I think they're like, I'm glad I try to be respectful. And I think sometimes I still come off too rough around the edges, but that's a more I'm referencing earlier in my career too. It's definitely something I've worked on. Claire Ellis, I've mentioned her numerous mm -hmm. times. It has been one of my big influences for she, she does, she's a great model of soft skills and being able to connect and develop relationships with pretty much anyone. So I've been fortunate to sort of mm -hmm. watch her and be able to imitate her a bit. <laughs> <laughs> she is, she is amazing. Um, I can say that she was my BSBA um, when I first started with navigation and her ability to just connect with people is amazing. Yep. Um, I know. There's it's definitely like, times I just sit back like in awe. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, but that's what we're going to discuss about soft skills. Um, if any of our viewers want to talk about what they think soft skills are, they can go ahead and just type in our comments below and we'll go ahead and um, uh, read them off. Or if you wish not to, that's fine too. Just let us know. Um, but yeah, I, I think soft skills, I mean, it's necessary to have as a, a behavior analyst or even as an RBT in this, skill, this field. Um, I think it's important, especially like in any field that you work with humans. Um, I know my wife and I were having 
uh, conversations about how we approach clients or how we interact with our clients. And it's, and I tell you what, Megan, marrying, I mean, married, being married to a social worker is really interesting to see how they do things in their field. Yeah. Um, because I think there's a lot to learn from other people who are in a human, human service related field. Um, I know um, we were talking about social skills and what kind of training we had and uh, especially on soft skills. Um, what's, what uh, training did you receive in graduate school for supervision or uh, what training did you have just being, I mean, being as a behavior analyst working with uh, families in developing those soft skills? Yeah. So to be fair, I graduated a while ago. <laughs> so but I, I cannot think of, I, I racked my brain and I was like, I just don't think I did get training on soft skills in my master's program. And I, I don't honestly, in the doctorate program was only five years ago, but I don't really remember a whole lot in the doctorate program either specific to soft skills. And especially in the master's program, I think it was more of the opposite where it was like more of a, you're coming in as the expert, you lay down the law. If they disagree with you, you don't provide services. <laughs> it was just very like <laughs> blunt and like, this is what's happening. Yeah. And it's interesting though, because I know people who went to Florida state after me and they read Dale Carnegie's book. Um, what you need to know, what is it? How to mo how to win friends and influence people. They read that as one yeah. of the books in their coursework. And around when I was graduating, I don't think it was while I was there, Dr. Bailey published the 25 essential skills for behavior analysts. So that, that stuff did start to get infused into the graduate training program, but I either blacked it out or it didn't happen when I was there. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really think I, I had any, and actually I had one, it's so interesting. I had this one opportunity to go to an IEP meeting with a family and uh, there was already this history with the university program and the public school system where a previous yeah. employee who wasn't at the university anymore had basically ruined the relationship. So one of the current um, professors was doing a lot to like rebuild that relationship. And they finally gave permission for us to start coming back into the schools because they had basically like banned all Florida state students from the schools. So I got, I got the opportunity to go to this IEP meeting and here I am, I'm like, 23 or 24. And I'm never taught in a classroom. I know nothing about schools. I've always done one on one in home. Uh, but I was really passionate about the particular student that I had, and advocating for his needs, I had done an observation, there were some minor things that could be done to help improve his school day and like decrease some of the challenging behavior that he was in, like engaging in. And just based on the, you know, training and modeling we'd had in our classes, I was very confident, even though I was still, I think, was I, I might've actually been the clinical, I don't think I was a student at that point. I might've been the clinical director, but still I was fresh, right? Like a young, either yeah. newly certified or very you're close green. to it. Yes. <laughs> but somehow extremely you're, you're confident. You were in the trenches. <laughs> I was very, very confident. <laughs> and I was such a jerk, man. Like I was so like, and I didn't even know that I was being one. I thought I was advocating 
for my student and just making some simple mm-hmm. requests of like, Hey, these are some things he needs, you know, is, would it be possible to do these things or whatever? Uh, thankfully, um, the two women who were in charge saw my passion, I think, and like saw that I was coming from a place of wanting the best for the student. And I, I clearly obviously must've had some good soft skills happening. Cause I wasn't a complete B. Um, and they, they like, put down some boundaries. They were BCBAs. They had been in the school system for a while. They had a strong relationship with the professor that was like rekindling things. So I think they gave me a second chance, essentially. And then when I left and came back, like almost 10 years later, um, they were so excited. Like we did trainings together and we had this great relationship. And I always thank them. I'm like, thank you for laying down those boundaries and (laughs) being, you know, good models for me, because I was definitely like too gung ho and too fresh and just thought I knew everything. And you all did not judge me for that. And now here we are with this like wonderful collaborative relationship. And I appreciate you so much. But I always wonder like what, you know, what different course could that have taken if they hadn't been, you know, so nice and gentle with me and my lack of I, I, there, I, like I said, I must've had some level of soft skills, but not where it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, I received, so now thinking about it also, uh, there's during my coursework. So I graduated in 2018 with my, um, from, from ODU with all my coursework completed. So we did have the 25 essential skills as a behavior analyst. We also did read um, Audrey Daniels, a couple of his books, which are amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, No, he's not a behavior analyst, but I think there's a lot of um, golden nuggets in those books that you can take away to work with people and how to be effective leaders. And I think that's, if you haven't, if you're a behavior analyst and you haven't read anything from Audrey Daniels books, you need to go ahead and read his books uh, because they give you um, so many great pieces of information that uh, is so beneficial in our line of work. I think one of the things I need to do, so I thought about this, Megan, too, is making a pack with myself to read like, 24 books this year oh wow and uh, yeah i want to read 24 books um not all behavior analytic but i want to go back in some of my books like um like audrey daniel's book i would love to go back and read um i would love to go back and read the 25 essential skills as a behavior analyst not because i'm lacking anything just because like i feel like it's important to refresh yourself after so many years or so many times. I mean, so many, such a, um, from, I mean, to refresh yourself from the information that you learned in that book, because you're going to forget all that information anyways, over time. I think it's always a good point to go back and reread those, you know, books that are like classic that you go back and you can relearn something that you might not have learned before um so that's something i want to do um but there's a bunch of other books that i have on my bucket list i want to read that i want to also read as well 
but I will say, I think most of my soft skills came from being a teacher. So I was a special ed teacher for 12 plus years. Um, I received a lot of my training through my on the job as a teacher um, during week, weekly meetings, um, in-person meetings with the principal. We talked about how to approach certain things with families. Um, I also learned a lot as a student teacher. When I was going through that process, we had weekly meetings uh, with our supervisors to discuss like, this happened while we were student teaching. How do we go about, you know, how do we go about this situation in the proper way? So those reflective type of um, role plays were beneficial for us. Um, but I also think a lot of our soft skills were embedded into our curriculum anyways. So you'll love this, um, Megan, but I asked my wife who's, you know, as a social worker, uh, how she developed soft skills. She what turned she around and looked at me and, and she just, she just looked at me like I, I was crazy. Like, what are you talking about? It's like soft skills. And it's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, soft skills, like social skills, like the skills that you use to like work with your patients. It's like, um, that's embedded in all of our coursework every throughout my class whole, every class. <laughs> And then, and then she proceeded to like roll off, like, um, well, you need to be an active listener and, you know, make sure that you're paying attention. And, you know, we all have, and she just rattled off all this terminology. I was like, okay, you go girl, you know, you got this. <laughs> um, but it's amazing to just, I mean, like to see how another field that has clients that work, works in a human service related field who also bills um, insurance, insurance companies that they have their soft skills all entwined with their curriculum um, and how they approach and like how they approached, I mean, they focus so much on how you approach and talk to a person. Yeah. Um, which we do that every single day we work is we're always working with our clients um, and our clients' families um, and communicating to them daily. So I don't understand. Like it, it, It's just interesting just to see how our fields, we work kind of, we work in a similar path, but yeah, we take, things we approach things differently and it's really interesting to see see that so yep but yeah i mean it sounds like i had a little bit more training but that's good i guess because we're evolving as a field and we're doing things better as a field too to address like some of these concerns yes yeah that's great to hear that you all uh reviewed those books. I put the link to just Aubrey Daniels main page and his books are on there. Yeah. Uh, I've had the pleasure of I had I did a panel presentation with him once. And my friend Mary, she co owns her business with him. So I love the few moments oh. I've gotten to spend with him have been pretty incredible. But 
Joshua said when you were talking about, uh, I don't know, you were giving your thing and Joshua said, yeah. um, sorry, my screen went away. <laughs> Working with people and delivering nuggets <laughs> sounds like behavior analysis. Oh, I think it was when you were talking about Aubrey um, not being a behavior analyst, yeah, yeah. but yes, true. Very true. And he works, he's, I mean, he runs like an yeah. OBM type company, so it's very behavior analytic in nature. And Julie said, I yeah. feel like we need soft skills targeted for conversations per generation. Not all approaches work with all ages. I think that's a, a wonderful point. I haven't, to be honest, looked enough at the literature, but I bet there's things out there around that concept. Are you familiar with anything around that, Joe? No, I'm not. Yeah. So, Julie, I know that uh, dialogue and conversation is one of your areas of interest. So let us know if there's any resources in there that you think we should uh, look at. And then Penny said, agree with Joe, practicing how to go about conversations, situations. It's not always soft skills that are needed, though often it is. Not everyone wishes that in a conversation. Listening, yes. Respect for others, yes. Would love our field to have courses on how do you deal with yeah, I was thinking about that when you were talking about with your student teaching, how you all would reflect and practice things like that. I don't, I don't know very many people in our field who get to do that type of thing. And it's awkward. I think people, for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're happy to spend hours training someone how to properly deliver reinforcement or do very discreet tasks, you know, but it's harder to give someone feedback on like, well, you're not really being nice enough. <laughs> you're not very approachable. <laughs> I don't feel very comfortable around you. Like here are some different ways to do that. Like it's, it's a lot, again, it's a lot harder to operationally define. So I think that that's where it's come up for people potentially as like, it's just not even something they give feedback or provide training on because it's just like, how do I tell this person, you know, to like change their interaction style? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Even just like, hey, this, I mean, we're shifting um, session around this way in a different way because I think it would be the most beneficial. Just even like working with parents in a way that um, might come across as um, a difficult message. That's something that, you know, in our field that we need to be able to know how to do it properly too. Yep. For sure. So, well, yeah, so, yeah, so um, with soft skills, okay, so we talked about soft skills, we talked about what they are. Um, out of all the potential soft skills, which one do you think is the most important in our field? So I had a hard time coming up with just one. <laughs> so I have, but they're, they're kind of interconnected. So I would say number one is being able to listen and like truly listen to people because I think we all have, you know, this issue where someone's telling us something like, especially if a parent is telling you about, you know, a challenge they're facing and we just immediately start going down problem solving route in our heads instead of like really cueing in on what's their body language. When are they shifting? When do they look more frustrated, more distraught, like, like really looking at those nonverbal cues and really listening to the words that they're saying about it. 
um, to pull in more information about what's happening and asking questions to learn more. It's, um, I often see where people will, a parent might say like something like, Oh, you know, my, my child never folds their laundry. Um, and, and it's really, (laughs) if the, if the analyst was like listening and really listening, they'd hear it as that's just a parent venting parent stuff. They don't need a behavior plan. Like there's not a goal here, right? Like, it's just like, Oh, my, you know, my kid just won't do their laundry as and then there's this other like list of things that they're actually more concerned about. Um, I've had that happen a lot where when I was overseeing people, they'd be like, I wrote this, you know, plan for this family and and they don't even want to work on it. And I'm like, well, what did they tell you? Like, how did you know that's what they wanted to work on? Um, And when they tell me, I'm like, that's not, no, they didn't want to work on that. They were just venting to you. Like there's a difference. They can vent. It's okay. Um, I'm getting the internet connection is unstable. Can you still hear me? Are we good? I can hear you, Megan. I know you were breaking up a little bit, but yeah. Okay. So listening is definitely a big one. Yeah. Listening is huge. Um, And then to kind of tie in with that, looking at being able to recognize our own biases that we bring to a situation and not letting those, you know, kind of take over and how we engage with someone. And then to go along with that as well, being able to understand what the people, the people that we're working with, what they're valuing and especially the actual client that we're serving. So like, what is of value to them and how can we be in support of those values? Um, especially for families, I'll see it come in a lot where if people have their own family, they kind of try to infuse their values on their clients which I do think is so interesting because most human services fields have multiple classes. And like you were talking about role plays and like all sorts of practice around Mm -hmm. not doing those things, (laughs) but we don't really, we don't really have that. Uh, And I think it comes in so much that like people don't even realize they're doing it. So, um, so it all again ties into listening, but I think those are the ones that I thought of for the most important. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's really important. Like, so out of all, so for me, like, I think the biggest thing too is listening. I think we cannot do our jobs effectively without listening to the client or the client uh, family wishes or what they are trying to say to us. So uh, I know for me personally, it's like, if I know I have a family like that has a, if I have a family that has something that they want to say, I shut everything down and I sit down and I listen to them intently because they might be trying to tell me one thing, but what they're, but after asking them a few questions about what they're telling me, and seeing, making sure that I hear them correctly. Um, it turns out what they're trying to say is a lot different than what they're telling me. Yep. And I find that by listening to them. And I think in this field, that's so important because I feel like sometimes our families don't know how to communicate their needs um, or they don't know how to put in a way that we can understand. 
And I think it's more important for us as clinicians to, or technicians to uh, learn how to listen to our families and get to the root of their issues or their concerns. Uh, so then we can best serve them. Yes. I know, I, I know this is something that my wife and I talk about how in our job, we have to listen to our clients and how there are there's a lot of potential barriers as well. If we don't listen, um, listen to their needs. Um, I know for a fact that for her, I know the biggest barrier that she has to tackle is families that speak a different language yeah. or they have different spiritual or religious beliefs. And that is something I feel like as BSBAs, the, the uh, language, I don't see that as much as, as I do with the religious back, I mean, or spiritual beliefs. I do, I do see that a lot more um, as being an issue and something that makes me want to have to, I mean, have, makes me um, take precautions and make sure that I'm listening a lot more closely to my families. Yep. Such great points, Joe. Um, I love how you said <laughs> I love the part about like, they're saying something different, right? Like if you have to truly listen to what they're communicating, because it, what you initially hear isn't always what they're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how you, you're able to pull what I say and put in such um, fewer words and, than me saying, like talking about it. I think you said it in great words. Um, one of the things I thought about when you were talking Thanks. and then we have a few comments that we'll read off the Facebook live when we're talking about that values piece. Um, it made me think of an example, a couple of examples I've come across recently where people, um, when we're looking at what the family's value or the client's value and making sure we're working in service of those, I've had... I think you brought this up, Joe, in one of the Wheel Decide Wednesdays, and then I was talking to someone else, that gung-ho-ness of, um, especially when, you, yeah. when you're first in the field and you're learning about all this incredible research yeah. and data that's out there to support the things we do, I thankfully never really approach things this way. However, I've seen it happen quite a bit where when people are working with a family and there's a certain procedure they want to use or a certain goal they want to tackle the and the family hasn't expressed interest in that or doesn't seem to really be on board with the procedures they'll come to me and say you know well I'll show them I'm just going to get all the research like I can't believe they don't understand you know how important this is like how can people be so dumb and like they just go down this like e whoa what <laughs> first of all you went to yeah. grad school <laughs> um second of all you might read all of that and think it's amazing but not everyone that's not meaningful to everyone not everyone goes to grad school for behavior yeah. analysis like it or not not everyone yeah. cares about data <laughs> So you coming in yeah. with your like this <laughs> full of research articles isn't necessarily going to do anything. Um, so that's one of yeah. the things I think too, when we talk about soft skills that we have to, you know, it doesn't mean those procedures won't happen or aren't necessary. And it doesn't mean the research isn't important, 
but you have to know your audience and how do you have that conversation in a way that is meaningful to the person you're talking to. So just like we would build a relationship with the clients we're working with based around their different interests, we have to do the same thing with the parents or teachers or whoever it is that we're trying to collaborate with. Um, I think there's a tendency to often come in and try to be the like, I'm the smartest one in the room. So you need to listen to me or I have the most paper to support Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So you need to do what I say, as opposed to, again, like really seeking to understand each other and figure out like, how can I talk in a way that will make sense to you and connect with you so that you'll be motivated to Mm -hmm. do the things that are most beneficial for your family at this time or your classroom or whatever. Yeah. And just even, even coming in and sitting down with the family and hearing out like what they need. Like when I visit a family or I, come to um, meet the family for the first time, I always tell them that you are the expert of your son or your child. I'm, I'm coming in, I know a lot, but you know your child the best. And I'm here to work with you and help you, your family. Because I feel like, yeah, we have all this research and this data and um, we can use it and use all these fancy procedures. But at the end of the day, none of that research or data really matter if it doesn't work for the client or works for the family. And I think that's something that we have to take into consideration and and learn as a field that just because, just because we have this research does not mean it's going to work for our client. Um, And if you're thinking that this research is going to work, did you really consider all the all the components or all the different sets of skill sets or different things you need to have in place in order to use it before you decide to use it. So I think that's something that is important to um, know as well before we get that gung-ho. Yes. Yes. And that's all, you know, our job as the supervisors at that point too, right? Like making sure Mm -hmm. because in the classroom, obviously those are the types of things that are really getting taught, which is great. And then if you're supervising in field work or just supervising for RBTs who might not even be taking classes, that other piece needs to come in somewhere. (laughs) And it's highly unlikely (laughs) it's going to be touched on a whole lot in the classroom. So And I think sometimes as supervisors, again, people get too caught up in, you know, the behavior plan and like, here's the uh, different procedures we're following and those types of things and forget to give that sort of, not sort of, forget to give that training and discussion the time it needs around why, why things need to be done a certain way and how they should be approached based on different characteristics of the families or the, the context and the environments that you're working in. We've had some really great comments come through, so I don't want to miss yeah. those before we get too far along. Casey, when we were talking about just differing things about people, different trainings, I think when you were talking about your wife and social work and things like that, Casey said, nursing, psychology, medical education, and many others all look at the Interprofessional Education Collaborative, which has core competencies for collaborative practice. It is something to consider for ABA to get on board with. That is very interesting. I will have to 
look into that. Thank you, Casey, for sharing. And Joshua said, basic personal counseling is a book I use to train counselors, found it really useful and straightforward, translate to a BST approach really easily with RBTs and other staff. Awesome. Another great resource. I'm going to awesome. have a lot of resources I will, I, I, for the show notes. <laughs> just, I'll have to look more. at that too. Like that, that. There's um, two more resources that were recommended. Casey also recommended Crucial Conversations. I've seen that one recommended quite a bit. I haven't read it myself. She says it's a game changer. Have you read that book, Joe? Never. And I'd never heard of that either. I've had a few so different I'll people recommend have to it. Look but... into that. And then Joshua shared a podcast from the Animal Training Academy that did a book club, I think, on Crucial Conversations. And they did a podcast episode about it. So I'll put all of that in the show notes. Nice. Penny agrees that asking questions is an excellent way of practicing soft skills, shows you are listening, you are throwing solutions out left and right. And then Robert was talking about how he has an amazing team working with his son, and he 100% feels that the people are around um, his son put out the correct feelings because they are, because who they are will without a doubt, be part of who my son is at the end of the day, if that makes sense. So that's, and that's such a great point. And I think something that we sometimes don't take into account with a lot of the families we work with, these kids are around whatever RBT or BCBA potentially sometimes for up to 40 hours a week. So that's a lot mm -hmm. of opportunity for modeling <laughs> what to do or not to do and how to act or react and <laughs> how not to act or react. So I think that's something that's really important for anyone, soft skills aside, right? Just like the time that you're mm -hmm. work when, when you're with your clients, who you bring, how you bring yourself to those moments and what that looks like. Because ultimately, like Robert said, that child is going to partially be like you. <laughs> you can't avoid it. And that's the case yeah. for anyone who's in like a teaching or type situation. I can definitely think of some teachers that, I wish hadn't been in my life. <laughs> and of course, I, I more, more fondly remember the certain ones who had more of that positive modeling and impact. Anything to yeah, add to can that? We just talk about, yeah, just, I mean, just, just thinking back about my teachers who made a profound impact in my life. If we did this uh, this um, icebreaker before, but you know, thinking back to the teachers that really make an impact on our lives are the ones that model those great skills that we want to um, use in our field as well every day. Um, and those teachers that we dislike were the ones that did not have the soft skills, that did not um, come from a place of compassion. So um, you want to make sure that you have someone on your team that shows those skills and has compassion and then models those great uh, soft skills as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can tell you like by the end of my school year, every year, there's maybe one or two kids that picked up on a behavior that I typically engage in and, as, and I call them like my mini-me mini me i mean just it's amazing what they pick up um i think one year 
one year I got really into Fortnite and you know doing the dances during class <laughs> just be just to you know keep class fun and engaging and fun by the end of the year everyone was doing a Fortnite dance and you know then it became you know it, it was just a thing to do and um I think one year I used the word uh I think I used the word tubular a lot in class <laughs> and my kids started using it and I was like, what are you guys doing? That's... And they're like, you say tubular. I want to use tubular. <laughs> and it's just, it, it's just started. We just started a trend in the classroom. So it's amazing what kids will do when they, when they're around you like 40 hours a week and how much of an impression you'll leave on the kids. So, um, definitely. My dog is barking at something. I don't know if you all can hear that. And I apologize. (laughs) That's, I love hearing those examples, Joe. Those are so fun. Um, thanks. Yeah, I definitely, I have one mom when I used to work in home, when I first started in the field, I didn't even know what a BCBA was. I'm short, right? I'm only five foot. So a lot of the kids dress up clothes and things fit me. (laughs) So she just always thought it was the greatest because she would come home and I would be dressed up in like little princess dresses or cowboy hats or whatever the thing was for that day that the little girl wanted to dress up. And she just, just always, you know, she was like, that's how I knew you were, you would do anything, you know, to, to get a smile on my daughter's face. And I just, it just meant so much to her and it meant nothing to me. Like I was just like, well, we were dressing up today, <laughs> but she was like, you never cared how goofy you looked or, you know, whatever. And I was like, why would I, we're just like playing and having fun. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, HRE, of course. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we have, engaged. we have a few more comments. Um, there's a little bit of discussion about the ethics code, but I don't want to go off track on that at the moment. So I'm going to hold on those. But uh, there was Joshua said there's another book called Difficult Dis- Difficult Conversations, but that's not as good. Um, they'll sometimes get muddled. So just in case you're looking for those. And then um, Julie said, describe true empathy versus pandering. So I don't know. I'm not going to read the other comments yet. I was just curious if you've ever thought about the difference between empathy and pandering. Me personally, no. Like, that's interesting. No. So it's interesting for me as well, because I don't think I've ever put them together like that, which is odd. But so I've definitely had situations where I felt like someone was trying to act empathetic, but they clearly weren't sincere in it, right? It felt like they were reading off of a script or like going through certain motions they were taught to go through, but they really could give two S's about me, um, right? They were just like, I, I need to engage in this sort of nonverbal and verbal behavior in order to get you to do what I want. And they didn't really care anything about me. Um, It was just what they were taught to do. And I don't know if that, I don't know why I don't know the definition of pandering well enough, but that to me, that's what I would say is probably pandering. Like I'm going to like do these things to appease you, but really I I don't really care. 
Um, so for empathy, it would be, you have to engage in perspective taking, you have to legitimately care about the outcome of that person's life and like what's going on for them to be empathetic. And sometimes it can be really difficult because there's so many things happening for someone that you've never personally experienced. And it's almost impossible to, to, to empathize, to, to do that perspective taking and really try to like understand what's going on. doesn't mean you shouldn't try doesn't mean you can't like acknowledge that as well. You know, like I'm doing the best I can to like put myself in your shoes and understand it's difficult (laughs) to do, you know, I've just never been through an experience (laughs) like this. Um, So that was what came up for me when I saw that question. Um, There, the couple of answers were, let's see. Um, Josiah said empathy, you go to where they are metaphorically pandering is an attempt to bring them to your point of view and your goals. It has an ulterior motive. I like that description. Sounds similar to what I said. Um, And then Joshua said, genuine interest versus like a fan service. (laughs) And Robert (laughs) said, um, Robert said fake, fake versus real care. So I think that's important as well, because I know, especially for myself, when, kind of first learning about the importance of empathy and even still it it doesn't nest again for whatever reason like I don't seem to have as much difficulty with families doing this but if like um a colleague were to reach out to me and say you know their dog died or something or even like a friend if they if something negative happened in their life I have a really difficult time with that I, I don't come up with good words I don't know what to say or do I don't know how to react to those things I have a much more difficult time I guess mm-hmm. from like a personal side than a professional, which is probably usually the opposite. Um, but I think when we're looking at, you know, teaching soft skills in our field, because <laughs> behavior analysts <laughs> are so good at operational definitions and task analyses and like step-by-step go through this. And we, are, we care about function, but a lot of the times we go more for topography with these types of skills. So mm-hmm. we really run the risk if we're not training and supervising people properly of teaching them certain steps to check off and like go through without that function truly being there of engaging in empathy for from a perspective taking standpoint and in the service of the person they're serving and helping them get to their goals. What do you think? I think there was just so much there. So let's let's take a break it down a little bit for me, okay? There was so, so much going on right there. So are we we're talking about empathy and um I I'm going to butcher this pandering. Yes. I got it, got it. The difference between um Empathy, I'm, uh, to be honest, like for me, I'm really good at empathizing um, just because as a teacher, I think in our, as, as a former teacher, I think like in our field, we are empathetic and we had, we're trained to be empathetic just because we don't necessarily know what goes on or happens at home after our kids leave our care and we don't know what their home life is like 
Um, I think that's kind of interesting as behavior analysts is like we know more about what's going on at home than actual teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might see our clients less time, like um, the uh, least amount of time. Like we might see them for two hours a day or our techs might see them two hours a day, but we know more of what's going on at home than teachers who see them for like seven hours. And they're in charge of taking care of that, that little human for that long and make sure all their needs are being met in, in the school system. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I think empathy is definitely more, I mean, I think empathy is like more of like my suit when it comes to the two and where I tend to lead as well with soft skills. That's good because I, I think I love, this is another area that I haven't dug into the research on. I'm, I would imagine yeah. there is research on it. My prediction is it, it's hard to teach people <laughs> if it doesn't come naturally. Yeah. I do know there's at least one article from our field that was published because I included it in the Do Better Collective Ethics webinar, and it's from La France. And they looked at training people on different, like listening, empathy, compassion, and they were able to operationally define it and do it and had better outcomes. So I know there's at least one study in our field. I just haven't, again, dug into it as much as I would like to, but I would imagine if you looked at, I, I bet there's certain like characteristics and things, some uh, almost I'm kind of picturing like a VB map or Abel's type breakdown that you could come up with for like a task analysis of like, these things need to happen first before you see true <laughs> empathy occurring. Um, but let's see, there were a couple of additional yeah. comments, but uh Julie said, I was thinking about how caring can sound unauthentic. Julie, feel free to expand on that if you would like to. Yeah. I love Penny's comment. She said, we often show soft skills towards our learners. We've got this. We can generalize. Why only look to see whether our learner is happy, relaxed, and engaged? We need to work to get the parents happy, relaxed, and engaged too. Yes. Yes. I can. I totally agree with that. And then Robert said, uh, it's an easier way to say it could be it's true listening for empathy, I think is what he was referring to there. And thank you. Julie shared a couple of podcast episodes from Freakonomics that I will, I guess it's just one episode. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. It's called, Do You Cure a Compassion Crisis? (laughs) And it was talking about an intervention <laughs> for doctors. So I will put that in the show notes in case anyone's interested in checking that out. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, thank you. So um, let's keep on the ball rolling because I know we only have two hours and we're <laughs> at the hour mark, right? Yes. So let's go ahead. Um, we talked about soft skills with potential what soft skills are really important and now i want to talk a little bit i know we talked about this briefly but what some other issues have we encountered relating to soft soft skills or lack of their thereof yeah 
So I did, I gave that, that IEP yeah, example. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that kind of the gung ho, especially newer to the field and, and really into the data and the research. Um, so that, that comes up the, I think the biggest one that I've encountered, especially most recently is <laughs> we come off as jerks. Like people don't like mm -hmm. us, right. Whether you're talking about multidisciplinary collaboration or, even just seeing interactions that people have with one another on social media, there's this lack of, again, soft skills that we're trained on to begin with. And I still, I would contend we're trained again, the opposite to be the badass expert who just drops all the research and like, <laughs> is always right and never wrong. Right. We're better than everyone else. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that's one of the biggest, it's, it really harms our ability to develop. I mean, how many times I'm sure everyone that's watching this right now and Joe, I would imagine you've encountered this as well. How many times have you been nervous to even tell someone you're a BCBA in an IEP meeting or <laughs> when you, when, you know, a parent's like, I want you to meet my speech language pathologist or whatever. And you're like, even I remember being on a boat in Maine and there was someone that like told me, uh, they were, I think, an occupational therapist, and they were like, "What do you do for a living?" And I was like, mm. <laughs> "Do I actually want to tell you?" Um, and that's not like that's not good, right? Like, it shouldn't be. People shouldn't have these like snap judgments of who we are based on that, right? So, someone who doesn't even know me is like, "Oh, you're one of those," right? Before they even have a chance to learn anything about me. <laughs> so. I don't want that to continue for our field. I think if we did have more training on soft skills, we would be in a much better place when it comes to in-person and online interactions. We'd be more curious and more seeking to understand people. Yeah. So as a former teacher, I think I, I had this um, more as a teacher though. Um, so when I go into IP meeting and I, look at who's attending and there's a, like a behavior analyst. This is before I became a behavior analyst. I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> because I like, I, and this is something that's kind of interesting. Just, just the school system in general is that I feel like there's a lot of school systems that don't like, they do not like outsiders and they don't like, it's so hard to break through. Um, um that barrier i i have issues with like the school system having soft skills for other professionals to help um i also have um issues with uh parents who don't necessarily have soft skills this this goes i mean into teaching because um that's where I've had a lot of issues with parents that don't have soft skills, even for um, professionals or how to communicate or uh, work with us. Um, but that's also might be due to just their previous histories or um, their previous history with another teacher or another professional that's causing that barrier as well. Yeah. Um, so that's I wanna, why I want to pause you right there. Cause I think that brings up a really great point. When we talk about soft skills, 
it's not only important that we're trying to train our supervisees, trainees on having soft skills, but we also have to help them learn how to be flexible around other people's lack of soft skills and not take those things personally and figure out how to still like smoothly navigate those situations, whether they have to interact with a teacher or a parent who uh, doesn't engage in that way, because that, that can shut things down so quickly. If people, even if they have soft skills, like as a clinician, get defensive and get, you know, in a negative space because the person they're trying to interact with is coming at them in a very non soft skill way in a very, whatever demanding or, (laughs) um, sometimes like usually it's like demanding or assertive or aggressive. Like there's all these different things that can come up. Um, and especially if they're part of a client base that we're serving, it's not like, that's where we have to really, that's where those like biases and that judgment needs to really be gone because we're not there, especially for like, if we're working with families, like we're not there for that. <laughs> We're there to help come up with <laughs> goals and plans for their the future of their child, right? So um, that's, yeah. I think, comes up quite a bit in our field where um, people might be super, you know, have their own soft skills and be super nice and whatnot. And then a family might say something in just not the right way or constantly has like questions that they're asking or just way, just that way of engagement. And unfortunately, that's just not our role <laughs> to train families um, <laughs> typically on. Now I have helped occasionally when parents have asked, right? Like if they've asked, you know, I'm having difficulty with advocating for my son or my daughter. I don't, I don't know the best way to say these things. Right. And then I'll try to give yeah. some ideas or suggestions about that. But generally speaking, we're there to work through, come up with our plans and goals. We're not there to take things personally if if that person hasn't learned how to engage properly. I don't even want to say properly. If they just don't have the soft skills, I don't know. Yeah, that, that they don't have the, the social skills necessary to work with other others. Right, but we're getting right. paid to uh, do it and they're not, so... <laughs> Now it's a completely different story if you're working yeah. with like teachers and like multidisciplinary and that kind of stuff, then it just gets frustrating because you're like, all right, well, we're all getting paid to be here. And I have, you know, but especially with families, it's like, they didn't ask to have to have us in their life. Right. Like, no, no. And, but yet as professionals, we are there to provide a service and we're there to we're there to make a difference in their um, child, their son, their daughter's life, so they may um, have a better outcome in life. And I rather go into a session or rather go into that knowing that, okay, I know this parent is tough. I know that I get. I'm not going to have, I, they're not, we're not, we don't have the best relationship right now, but I'm going to show up and be the best version of myself in this situation. So maybe one day they may show up um, as well in their best version of themselves as well. So then we are able to work together. But I think 
parents, I mean, parents or professionals that show that and they don't show themselves as their, as the, their best versions of themselves. That only means to us that we need to model those skills or we need to show up and um, show them that we are there for them. I don't care what you do to us. We are going to be here until you tell us that you don't want us anymore. Yeah. But I, that's, that's those, I mean, even though that's why I think it's like, even those tough cases, you got to show up and show up your best self. Right. Yeah. And that, and that can go into a whole separate conversation too, is like what, okay, then at what point from a self-care standpoint, <laughs> how much do you put up with? But we'll yeah. save that for a different episode. When you were talking, it also made me think yeah. about the importance of when we're talking about soft skills, obviously we said listening is important and empathy. And then, so this part would really be talk, tying in with the compassion piece of it. Right. So not making those judgments, truly trying to understand, mm -hmm. you know, what's happening for people without letting the, the, I don't want to say it's junk, but it is kind of like without letting the junk get to you, <laughs> we can do it so well with our, with the, you know, usually the children or adults that we're serving, we can stay focused on what's the most important thing happening and not let stuff get to us. But for some reason, when it comes to interacting with adults that we might be training, whether it's parents or teachers or whatever, um, our, the rest of our human nature, I guess, comes in and we <laughs> tend to get a little dramatic <laughs> about things sometimes. Um, Kim said, yeah. when we were talking about just, you know, the issues that can come up, she said, we need to be able to share our knowledge in a diplomatic way without appearing to be a know-it-all listening first to others is key. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and Robert Isn't said, famous Huh? I, I was just, that just reminds me, isn't there a famous quote that says, um, you must, you must listen first before being understood. Or did I say it backwards? There's a famous quote that's, that talks about this. And I think it is listen first, then, then, um, be understood. I'm sure I'm there are that. lots of quotes about it. <laughs> 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 I, I, I it, it just, yeah, it just, it just came to my mind and I, I was wondering if you heard of the quote or not. So, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I love that. Uh, what she said too. Yes. And then there was one more quote from Robert. He said, this is kind of, when you were talking about the social skills piece, he said, this is kind of funny as social skills are typically, typically something that is a focal point. <laughs> I love that you all are put out these conversations. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Anything so. else? I, um, I think like one of the reasons we talked about having this episode, you had talked about kind of finding that balance when you're training yeah. new people. And we've talked about it a little bit, but is there anything you wanted to share about, are there, especially from like an antecedent standpoint, now that you know that that's a thing that is probably going to happen, is there anything mm -hmm. that you're doing to help set up supervisees 
for success around, it's not just about the research. <laughs> you need these other <laughs> skills too. I think what part of what I do is I, how I'm setting up now is I'm having a conversation before we get into situations um, or before they come on board to work with a client is I, we talk about the client and talk about potential barriers, potential situations. And we discuss, you know, this is where we're at with this client. And uh, uh, this is where I would like to see we go with programming. And I know the research is this, 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 but we need to get there. We need, in order to do that, we need to do these set of skills or these set of things in order for us to get there. So, so if I, let's just say, say for example, um, they were in a preschool, not a typical setting that we would, you know, always go. Um, and this isn't anyone that I have right now, but if we're in a preschool and we're there for seven hours a day um, and they have their own programming and their own structure and their own system of way of doing things, and we're there for support and to um, do our jobs, I, I know what the research is of like what we can do with certain programs, but I tell my techs, okay, well, in order for us to do this, I need to do this, this, and this, and get my get the clinical the director of this preschool on board with us. But in order for me to do that, I need to gain their trust. I need to gain their uh, support, and I need to find out what I can do in this setting. So that's like just one one suggest like one idea I have I have to set my techs up for success and to help out with those soft skills. And during the course of like supervision or like when we have our meetings or we talk in person, I tell them like, hey, I, I reinforce things that they are doing well. And then, then maybe I'll talk about, hey, I need you to do this next time you're at the at session or this will be beneficial for you to make leaps in this classroom or with this client. Like what are you it. thinking, Megan? Yeah, I really Thank like you. all of that. I think that's all really helpful. I think one of the things that's really important when we're looking at this is setting that stage from the beginning. So making mm -hmm. sure that, again, trainees or people you're supervising have it as an expectation. So part of your experience with me, I'm not just giving you feedback on behavior intervention plans and how to work with your client, but I, you know, part of being an effective clinician is the soft skills. And we will talk and review these types of things so that it doesn't catch them off guard. Because I think sometimes, yeah, it obviously, especially if, if there's soft skills that need to be worked on and it comes out of nowhere that you're being talked to about soft skills that need to be worked on, you're generally going to get someone that's going to be pretty defensive about that. So if yeah. you have it as like a blanket <laughs> thing that like for every person I work with, every person I give feedback to, 
these are the different areas we're focusing on and like soft skills as part of that, it makes things go a lot smoother. <laughs> so you don't have to, uh, you know, do a lot of repairing uh, afterwards. And it, it, yeah. it helps too, because sometimes people don't remember to focus on it in their training with with someone so then it really mm -hmm. does only come up if there's a major issue so there could have been these like minor soft skill things that needed to be worked on and there was priority given to all this other stuff and then all those little soft skill things build up and then you know the clinician just really says something wrong to a family and like they want to drop services because the clinician was so rude or whatever, you know, like there's things that can sort of build yeah. over time. So if you're, if it's constantly part of the supervision that you're providing and it's just an expectation, it's going to be a lot easier. We had a few different things that we did. I think, I don't think by the time you were at navigation that we were as good at incorporating these, but when I first was start getting started and had more time to do things, um, we had, I did a training on professionalism and the 25 essential skills for behavior analysts. We had, we were trying to get a system set up where we would sort of do a baseline analysis of those 25 skills for each person and just have them rate. Mm -hmm. We had like a form for them to fill out and have them self rate. And, but you had to find, you had to come up with a few that as much as we'd all like to say, we're perfect on everything. <laughs> you, you sort of did like, what are the, what are my strengths in these 25 and what are my weaknesses and kind of set up your own plan of, you know, these are the areas I'd like to grow in. But then we also had their supervisors were instructed to fill that out as well. And then we sort of were bringing the two together we were doing this from a standpoint of an, um, sort of anonymous because we had multiple supervisors, but then Lori and I oversaw everything. So it was like all of that information would collectively come to us and then we would streamline it into, okay, you like Joe, pretend it was you, Joe, you said, you know, your yeah. strength is empathy and one of your weaknesses is compassion. I'm just making that up. So, and then um, your different supervisors also, you know, rated you in that way as well. So let's set a goal for this quarter uh, around growing your compassionate skill set, right? So it's supposed to be this like collaborative mm -hmm. thing. It was very great. I got it all stitched up. <laughs> got all of the paperwork ready to you go and ready to execute. And then because I never had enough time, it never happened. But, um, so we, but we tried to get things like that in place from the, you know, from a, mm -hmm. like just sort of a process standpoint. And I'm sure other companies out there have similar things that they're doing, but that was one of the things that I thought would be really important to make sure we were helping people develop those skills before it became a problem. Because especially at the time when I created it, we had quite a few people coming in that really didn't know much about behavior analysis, but they were recruited by one of the other employees mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, they just thought they'd be a good fit. And so we were trying to give them a chance and they did, they worked out generally fine, but still we needed to have measures in place to like help get them on the path of being the best clinicians they could be. Yeah. That's cool. I, I really like that system, Megan, too, by the way, just like, I, I like, um, I like, uh, I like systems in place. I like things organized and I'm finding more and more like as I get older ish, I'm so young, but, um, I, I still, I, I like organization and, 
structure and procedures I'm finding more and more. Yeah. Um, There was one other thing that we, that we did, we did have this and it was used some, and it wasn't completely about soft skills, but it was, we tried to make it Mm -hmm. so that people, so there was a, why can't I think of the word? like bi-directional path where it wasn't always the supervisor giving feedback to the trainee on their soft skills. Like we all need feedback mm-hmm. on it, right? Yeah. Things can drift. We might think we're doing a good job, but we're not. So we, when we set up our feedback, like performance management systems, we had, you know, items in place to where the trainees were giving feedback on the supervisors and their soft skills. And we also had just for, the supervisors to use on a regular basis. Like if they were training someone on something, we had a checklist. Uh, I don't think we infused soft skills in that as much as we should have, but there were a few things on there. Like the supervisor recognized if, um, if I was understanding and took time to answer my questions and stuff like that, but we didn't have as much on there on like actual soft skills as we probably should. And we also did the same thing with parents. We had like parent feedback forms that they would fill out. Uh, that's that, that touched on some of these things, but we definitely could have done more. So I'd be interested to see, especially for some of the companies that have incorporated more of an OBM focus or are like bigger and have more, because this was just Lori and I, right? Like we didn't have an HR department. Like we didn't have anyone to do. We were, (laughs) we were billing, we were all of the things. So um, anyway, I'd be curious to see what it looks like. All the things at once. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I'd be curious to see. Um, that would be interesting to see what bigger companies do. Yeah. Um, just to see how they incorporate those soft skills and then how they also incorporate um, social skills in their HR decisions or like um, how to like effective feedback that they give to um, the employee, employees. Yeah. So... Perfect. Well, yeah, um, we had a couple comments, right? Yeah. Megan? Go for it. Do you want to read them? I don't time? know. Like, for, it's hard because, like, so what's really interesting is um, when I look at the comments, they're not always the newest comments. Oh, okay. Posted. I've got it in order um, here. Um, Penny, yeah, Penny said that quote that you were asking about is listen first, ask second. Is that what you were going for? There we the go. One you're thinking of? Yes, that's what I was going for. Josiah <laughs> um, said, in a sense, we need to know what other people value personally. That is, what are their reinforcers? Parent, teacher, staff. Most humans want to feel heard and valued and not demeaned in a professional relationship. Yes. All of the yeses to that. Um, <laughs> and then Kim had another quote about listening. Do not listen with the intent to reply, but with the intent to understand. And I think far too often we're trained like that. It's our job to reply, (laughs) not just like we're going to understand from like an ABC analysis type situation, but not conversationally. Um, Robert said in response to Josiah's comment, yes, that is very well said. A basic human emotion is love by being heard. That can roughly translate into being heard. Thank you for sharing that. Um, 
<laughs> and then there was just some discussion around like what I was talking about with the soft skills and the things that we were trying to set up. Yeah. Um, and Julie said, aren't you still all the things? And Josiah said, that sounds like an excellent um, training. So no, thankfully I'm not all of the things I stepped away from that a while ago because <laughs> I was sick of doing all of the things, but I, I'm hoping to continue to create content for do better that will help other people who are doing the things do them well. So maybe that'll be something I add to the list of do better webinars for this year to share some resources around assessing and training on soft skills. Awesome. Awesome. And if you guys have any other comments, keep on, keep them coming where we love the feedback and we love, um, being able to read off these comments and having a um, very um, interactive experience here at Do Better. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I know we talked about some resources. Are there any resources related to soft skills that you have used? I know we talked about a few. Yeah, so the 25 essential skills is one I need... I can't remember if this is one of my books that disappeared and I need to reorder it or not, but I do need to <laughs> go through it because it's been a while. Uh, like I mentioned, we used it pretty extensively, but that was like 10 years ago. So I need to go back and look at it with what I've learned over those 10 years and reflect upon mm -hmm. if there's any aspects that actually run counter to um, this whole like arrogance thing. So I think that's interesting to me that there are, there were certain aspects of our field that when I first started, I didn't even recognize how they were setting us up to look like jerks. <laughs> and I just was, oh, this is a great resource. This is wonderful. Yes, we need to do these things. And then over time, as you get more and more experience in the field, you're like, oh, wait, yes, that is something we need to do, but under these contexts in this way, <laughs> right? So I haven't <laughs> reviewed them recently enough to say I 100% would consistently use it. But I think that's the case probably for any resource, right? You need to be looking at it with a critical eye and thinking mm -hmm. about how it supports the, the work you're doing and, and not interfering with it. The other two resources, the one is, I've talked about it a few times, the compassionate listening course that I did. So I'll put that in the show notes. There's a a group called compassionate listening and they teach you how to engage in <laughs> compassionate listening. So I've only done one of their courses. I'm hoping to maybe sign up for some additional ones. Once I knock out some projects, they just set things up really nicely for their trainings because you meet weekly and they do a little bit of a lecture, but most of it is practicing the skills that they're teaching you. So I would highly recommend that. It's not going to be like, you know, a behavior analytic operational definition, blah, blah, blah type thing, but it is a <laughs> outside of the field, well-designed training that does make use of empirically supported training methods to teach skills to people. And it's skills that we're not typically learning uh, in terms of empathy and perspective taking and that type of thing. And then motivational interviewing, I think, is also really important from a soft skills standpoint, because it kind of goes into that pandering thing we were talking about earlier with motivational interviewing, you're looking at the people that you're trying to work with, like where in the change process are they, and you have to engage in those asking of questions, it teaches you better how to ask questions, how to acknowledge what people are feeling, 
and saying to you and making sure you're understanding them and they truly are heard. And in combination to that, based on what they're saying, are they actually at a point where they're ready for change or are they still like trying to figure out if they want to change? So in terms of like prioritizing and knowing where to go with your treatment planning, it can be really helpful because it can help you connect with the family in a way that's a bit different because we're constantly sort of brought in as like, I'm here to make change happen. <laughs> but the families aren't always ready for that change. And, um, and what we mm -hmm. think might need to change might not be the same as what they think might need to change. So um, I personally, that's one of the ones that's been on my list for a while. I've dabbled in some of the books and trainings with motivational interviewing, but I haven't dove into it as much as I would like to. But I do think I've read enough of it that I could see it as a, a great resource for when you're trying to train people on soft skills. Those are my top three. Awesome. So I, I agree. Like the 25 uh, Essential Skills for Behavior Analysts, that's a book that I want to reread as well. Um, when I was when I was going through the show notes, that's something that you said that I was like, yes, that's exactly one I would remember. Um, I also remember about Aubrey, Audrey Daniels' book as well. Um, he actually, he has quite a few books that he has wrote. Um, I think the one that I'm talking about is the seven, um, habits for highly effective leaders. Um, I might, yeah, that's it. Um, I also participated in a training, um, that Megan hosted. It seems like yesterday, but it was like a few <laughs> years ago, I think. And it was with Tommy Perry. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love his training. Um, and it was about, about listening and having those, uh, that conversation, those conversations with parents as well. Megan, I don't remember the title of his, of his training though. It's like act That's with the thing families. that kills me. It's like. Yes, at, like at, it was like act before. Some it's it's a longer families, title, but, but it's, it's like effective. Yeah, yeah, I'll it's a it. longer title. Uh, oh, I I had it too. Like I popped it up. Um, it is. I hate whenever I have to sign into like another system just to. Here we go. Um, the strategies and tools for addressing flexibility, regulation, and coping skills fact, fact. but it, um, oh no, here we go. Elevating skills with fact. That's what, that's what it was. He it was talking about the skills of act. And then, um, what was cool is that we had a lot of experiences and like breakout time to like practice using um some of the stuff that he taught us in act and a lot of it was listening and um listening and to others and then also restating what they were saying and i think that's a great 
uh, training just to work, I mean, learn some of those soft skills, but also how to listen and work with families. Yeah. Oh, that was the in-person workshop that we did. Um, I put a link to the webinar that he did. That's a like shorter version of that workshop, but that was, I didn't even get to sit in on it because I was doing another training that day. So I saw like bits and pieces, but it looked yeah. amazing. Oh, it was. And it, you totally missed a part that uh, Tommy decided to choose me as uh, as one of the volunteers he had. And it was the perfect, it was the most perfect um, um, segments of his trainings for me to come up because what he was trying to do, he, he it was him, me, and this rope, and we were pl- trying to do tug of war um, with this piece of rope. And what he was trying to do is try to show, like, if you're trying to pull on this piece, this rope, but also talk at the same time, it's really difficult to do. Well, for me, I don't know if you know Tommy Perry, but he's definitely a lot less um weight than i am so for me it was he wasn't moving me i i was like just i was just holding on to the rope i was like this is easy tommy (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) at the end at the end of his demo he was like that reminds me the next time i do this to choose someone that's smaller than i am Because um, it was it's just it was just a funny um, segment, but I will never forget that. But yeah, it was a great um, training that he had. Yeah, so he's, he's wonderful. Yes. He definitely has the soft um, skills so down. <laughs> he does. Like how he and th- this is the and this and this is the part that I love. It's like how he generally cares about others is amazing. Like. You could, I mean, I'm sure if he, if you, if you talked about Steelers football to him and he could, he could be the biggest New England, New England Patriot fan. And he, he, you couldn't tell because he, (laughs) he had his soft skills down, like to actively listen, to talk with you and to generally seem interested. I love it. Um, Such a cool cat. (laughs) <laughs> so but so what aspects of our fields support the growth of these soft skills too um I, yeah. is there anything on task desk is there anything ethic code recent publications yeah i know the big i know the board sent out something that doesn't relate to behavior analysts at, at all that I'm kidding. I'm I'm being. Uh, oh, I'm, I, like what? They said they. <laughs> <laughs> no, they uh, just released their uh, new ethical standards. Yeah. So I definitely see and, this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I see this as an area like you mentioned earlier. I didn't get any when I was in grad school, and you did get a little bit. So it's definitely an area that seems to be improving. Uh, on the current task list, nothing really jumps out at me that uh, really f- 
focuses on soft skills and the way that we've been talking about them. I mean, there's things yeah. on there about collaboration and supervision, but there's nothing specifically looking at the types of situations that we talked about. And in the current ethics code, I don't, nothing really jumps out at me either. The new ethics code with the focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and there are parts that talk about compassion and being humane and all of that type of stuff. So hopefully the more that we see, you know, have those types, it's kind of sad. (laughs) I'm going to be honest that our ethics code has to say that we're operating from a place of compassion and and being humane. But apparently it had to be said, so it's going to be in there now. Um, And it also is sad to me that it had to include diversity, equity, and inclusion. And and I understand having that in there definitely makes it more of a focal point and ensures more of active process there for especially folks in our field who are part of marginalized groups. So I'm not criticizing it being in there, especially the diversity, equity, and inclusion part. But I am sort of shocked that our code has to include compassionate treatment and humane treatment <laughs> like this um so <laughs> i i'm hoping that we'll see with that being in the new code that there is more of a focus both in continuing education and in coursework on these types of skills i do wonder if it'll be a superficial level where again it's just like mm-hmm. sort of checking off a box and saying you know oh yeah, we've, we've considered these things as opposed, or that topographical thing that I was talking about earlier, where it's like going through the motions, but really not developing those skill sets. And then the other, Mm -hmm. the last one that, um, that really surprised me before the new code was even published. I redid our supervision training when the 2.0 supervision came out last year. So I redid it for that. And I was so excited because the supervision 2.0 required um, in their curriculum that the that training that eight hour training include information about active listening. So that was really exciting that you know, people who are becoming BCBAs, and going to provide supervision and take an eight hour supervision course, that course needs to include some type of information about active listening. I did think it was kind of ironic, though, because most of the people creating those eight hour courses were never required themselves to get training on active listening. And I wonder (laughs) for the eight hour trainings, like what people are saying, you know, I went and like did some extra research on it, made sure I incorporated resources and tried as hard as I could to really have it comprehensively addressed. But it doesn't say when you look at the curriculum requirements for the eight hour creation of the eight hour courses, None of it says like, you must talk about this for this much time or address it in these ways or anything like that. So people could literally just say, make sure you engage in active listening and meet the requirements, (laughs) right? So like we didn't, my course doesn't do that. It's a lot more in depth than that. Um, But I was excited to see that it's at least on there now. And I hope that again, we'll see more around that in the future. That's awesome. Like I'm excited about that. Um, supervision curriculum. I think I didn't mind before 2.0. And um, that's, I'm glad, I'm glad that's in there. Um, But yeah, I'm surprised that it wasn't in there before either. Um, So mine is really just like yours, you know, 
nothing jumps at me the task list or current ethic codes what i'm really excited that about though is that my company um is big on uh brene brown's work um working on those soft skills um working on incorporating outcome measures that um not only touches on um, just a client, but also the whole family, um, getting them on more board. Um, we're big, we're big in our center as, um, being leaders and showing up and working on those soft skills. That's something that we talk about quite frequently in our meetings, um, with the company that we're, that I'm at right now. So I really, um, appreciate that and i'm i'm glad that we're pushing that in our in in our uh, company right now but as a field like that would be awesome if more uh companies take that on as well yes (laughs) yep um (laughs) i i do and i think it's so funny i thought for sure you'd mention brene brown as one of the resources i didn't even like include her because i know what i should yeah, I love Brene Brown. Um, if we we def, I mean, like definitely add her as a as a resource. I will say, I didn't even think of that being like an actual resource for, but I mean, as a resource. But like thinking think of it now, her Dare to Lead book is probably one of the most influential and most uh, important works of her um to that talks about empathy and soft skills and compassion and even shame um i love listening to the car um to her audiobook on that on that book and just listening through all the stories and it even going through her that audiobook like there's so many stories that struck me as like like wow i can this relates to my field like like this relates to where i work um and she gives you solutions on on how to do something different to address those concerns and i love it um big thing like what struck me struck me is um her story about this airman um, I forget what rank she was. I think she was a, I think it was a lieutenant colonel general. I know there's a big difference. I've, I, it's just been a while, but she was in front of her command discussing with her soldiers, her airmen about, um, what struggles they're having and, they all said that you were tired and she just heard the word tired, but it's not because they're just, they're tired. Then it's not because of the lack of sleep. It's because they have a lack of connection. A lot of them are not connecting or interacting with each other. So she scrubbed the rest of the talk and spent the remaining of the time, you know, talking about connections and how they can work on making connections happen in the command and it has um done wonders for them 
And yeah. I, and that just struck me like struck chord with me just because even in our field, like we get lonely at times because we're just, and we say we're tired, but really it's because it's because we're lonely and we're not connecting with others in our field. That's a really so. great example. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I wonder. Yeah. I've never really thought about that. I wonder how often that's happening, especially now with COVID and everything. Yeah. And that's why like, even with COVID, like, I, I, like connection is huge to me. And that's why like, I'm happy that people are connecting online at least. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just saying, instead of not, and just being alone and um, not making those connections or those human interactions that are needed. Yeah. So. When you were talking and, and sharing some of the things that Brene Brown talks about, it made me think of one other resource that didn't jump out at me either because it's not written for this purpose. But I've been listening to it as an audio book and I purchased the actual book. I have all these audible credits. I don't usually do audio books, but I have all these audible credits yeah. and I was like, I should just use these. And then if I need the book hardcover, I'll get it. <laughs> like if I need the physical book. <laughs> so yeah. But so I listen, I've been listening to Uniquely Human by Barry Prezant. He does not like behavior mm -hmm. analysis at all. <laughs> so it is not a behavior, <laughs> it's not behavior analytic in nature. There's, but there's different parts of the book where he talks about ways to connect with uh, the, whether it's the families or the autistic clients that you would be working with. And it, he goes by different categories too. And it's so interesting, like connecting around objects, connecting with people and things like that. So some of the, the skills we were talking about with like empathy and compassion and those types of things are sort of like woven mm -hmm. into what he talks about. Because if you are familiar with the content of what he's saying, then you would be more likely to engage from a place that's empathetic and compassionate than if you weren't aware of the stuff that he's talking about. Now, of course, he's summarizing on behalf of his own experience and some of the people he interviewed. So it's not necessarily blanket for every uh, family or person we'd work with, but it's still helpful information to have as long as you don't get too upset about hearing him bash behavior analysis for about 25% <laughs> of the book. <laughs> but the things he says are things we would all probably say too. Like we wouldn't like that, that the thing was happening either. So um, it just comes off worse, I guess, when it's someone outside the field saying it. So, yeah. Well, that's also where, you know, as a field, like, you know, if someone's having a negative viewpoint of us, I think it's important for us to show up and show us, show them the true field and what behavioral analysts actually can do and do right. Mm -hmm. yep. Not these negative stories that people hear. Yes, exactly. Well, we had one more comment. Robert said, I look forward to when you all hold that podcast, breaking down the new code. Well, we'll have to put that on our list. And uh, that he believes the first time he yeah. listened <laughs> to me, we were talking about the ethics code. I think it pro we probably bring it up quite a bit. <laughs> I've just always been an ethics uh, nerd. <laughs> but um, I don't see any other comments. If there's anyone still listening, because you know we're closing in on the two hours, if you have any additional resources that you didn't yeah. already post, or if you have aspects of the task list that maybe we missed, or the ethics current ethics code that touches on soft skills, please feel free to share those. Joe and I would love to see them. 
Yes, definitely. Give me, give me book ideas because I, like I said, I have 24 books to read by the <laughs> end of this year. So um, I think I'll have to like do a couple more Brene Brown books too. Yeah. Now that you brought, brought that up. And I started a collection too. I started a collection of Brene Brown, Brene Brown books that I had to read. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, just to have in my collection and was like, Hey, um, I'm going to pull this out and start reading. And um, I have another book from um, Steve Hayes that I have to read. Um, that's been in my shelf that I haven't got to yet since my birthday. So I'll have to pull that out as well. Awesome. Yeah, I have so many books, but I think I finally, I, um, I can't remember if we talked about this, but I made my block schedule that I wanted to make forever. I haven't actually gotten <laughs> to follow it yet. So this mm -hmm. week is still a little bit weird because Taylor doesn't go back to school until Tuesday, but I'm hoping for that second week of January to finally be able to follow my block schedule. And I have for every day, I have an hour at least set aside for reading the professional books that I keep purchasing and not reading. And I have <laughs> an hour set aside at night to read the personal books. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of the personal books are also professional. So trying to figure out that <laughs> divide that is kind of interesting. But um, so I'm hoping to have two hours every day where I'm reading. We'll see. We'll have That's to check awesome. in on that. I'll have to do that. I'll have to block out like an hour for me to read like a book. And an hour for me to read like research articles. I just had a great idea, Joe. What's up? We've been talking. We've been trying to figure out what we could do on stereo. If we're both trying to read more, we could do a like what you're reading thing, and we yes. could talk about like you know try to hop on there once every week or so and just mm -hmm. chat for a few minutes about what book we're reading. That's awesome. I love that idea. All right. And see how that goes. And I tell you what, like, I'm really excited. Like, I'm waiting for the day that I could be, like, verified on uh, stereo, too. I tried to do it, and it was like, it, I had to put my social media stuff in, and it said I couldn't be verified. I'm like, these are my accounts. I don't know what you want me to do about that. They, like, want, that, they want your social media accounts to be verified, and then if one of them is verified, then you can be verified. Oh, well, I don't. But, yeah, but Twitter's Twitter's going to eventually have um their verification process back out in 2021 yeah. so hopefully i can get verified uh, I, I would like that just just for fun yeah, yeah. i just it's not it's just not a thing that motivates me we had one excellent comment from doja i think i said it right this time um she said Brene brown is also a fantastic model of how to teach nebulous concepts such as empathy yes yes she is um even just watching her TED Talks, like there's just so, like how she poises herself and how she talks about the subjects and the research she completes um, is amazing. Like I, I love watching her, like her present. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, any closing thoughts before we finish out for this live recording? I feel like with soft skills, like as a, Build, we are slowly getting on board with soft skills and that we're implementing stuff, maybe not as a macro level, but definitely as a micro level um, with some of our um, with some of our 
um, workplaces or some people that we work with. I know the people that I work with, they, their soft skills are um, much, I mean, they're pretty on point. Um, I think at a macro level, like it would be nice to see more, more emphasis on that in, on um, at schools and um, supervision and um, just those avenues. But I think we're we're getting there, and yeah. I think we need to look at other professions like like um, social work because like my wife like like I said like her whole curriculum was had soft skills and twine in it. And I think as a human service provider that also works in a medical profession, like, you know, we need to provide, I mean, we need to have that entwine in a lot of our curriculum as well. Yep. What are your closing thoughts, Megan? <laughs> How can we do better? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I... Oh, I just have so much to say. Now, I think, I mean, I, like you said, we're getting there, we're getting closer to um, having more in place for this. And I hope that we continue to see the, the focus on these skills. I, I know I've said it several times already, but my biggest concern is that people get too caught up in topography and not enough on function. So yeah. I hope that when continuing education events are created or it's intertwined in coursework and supervision, that it really is done in the service of improving our service delivery and not just like boxes to check off. Like I smiled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, <laughs> that's not, that's not how this works. So more like yeah, it's more like um, we that our hope is that there's actual a curriculum or a process for teaching soft skills or how to address them in our curriculum um, to provide a better outcome for not only you know the clients but also um, to just have better clinicians. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's a big piece of it in terms of seeing the value, because I definitely can see where certain people might be like, why do we need that? <laughs> we just take yeah. data and operationally defined behavior. Like, what do we need these fluffy things for? Right. Um, so like really understanding the value that having these skills can provide to the services that we're delivering. And that's what that LaFrance article really was exciting for me. And I hope to see more research like that to demonstrate these aren't just fluffy, like uh, nebulous <laughs> concepts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, just think of that, about that. Can you, can you imagine going to a doctor's office and then not having any so soft skills? Like no, doc none of the doctors have. Oh, I'm soft sure skills. we've all dealt with that, but that's also yeah. like, you know, doctors, what nurses do a lot of the patient interaction, the yeah. doctors often don't do much of it. And, and that's an issue they deal with as well. There's, I probably, I don't know what the number is, but I would bet it's probably at least 50% of doctors don't have good soft skills and bedside manner. They're just in boom out. Right. Um, yeah. And nobody that there's research that shows it's not effect. It's not as effective that way, but yeah. that's just not, it's a similar issue as in our field. It's just not something they think is necessary. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it is. If you're working with someone else, and we're providing medical human service, uh, like, um, 
treatment, then yes, it is important to have those that soft skill um, to work with these families and these um, our little guys that we work with, our little humans, and you know, provide a great outcome for them. You know, yes, perfect. All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching us live. We'll hopefully do a few more of these throughout the year and we appreciate your active engagement. So Joe, do you want to do our closeout? Yeah. So I want you guys to take this all in, think about how you guys can do better. And um, I want you to go ahead and go forth and do better. (laughs) Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Go forth on your quest and do better.